STEM ain't just STEM, it's STEAM. It's science, technology, engineering, arts and music. Y'all are gonna be crucial. Tulsa becoming a music city, which y'all are gonna make happen. Tech and, tech and arts have always been the two combinations that have made the greatest innovations. Tech changing people's lives and arts, edifying people and showing them how to behave and use that in a way that doesn't hurt other people. That's, that's the key, man. The, the two, those two together, I think it's unstoppable. The Woody Guthrie Center and Bob Dylan Center present Fire in Little Africa, a multimedia hip-hop project inspired by Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You are now tuned in to Fireside with Dr. View, a podcast featuring Fila Executive Director Stevie Dr. View Johnson in conversation with national leaders in activism, academia, and culture centered on the movement behind the Fire in Little Africa music. And now, coming at you live from Black Wall Street, here is your host, Dr. View. What's going on, y'all? It's your man, Dr. View, executive producer for Fire After for episode six of Fireside. I had the pleasure of meeting and talking with the founder of Black Tech Street, um, the great that is Tyrant Spillingsley. And on this episode, we talked specifically about rebirthing Black Wall Street as a new global capital, Black Tech. Um, a new destination community for like entrepreneurs and visionaries, as well as just creating a new model for building truly inclusive and equitable economies. And so uh, I hope that you all will enjoy this episode um, as we discuss Black Tech Street in relation to Fire Little Africa and the future of Ringwood in North Tulsa. Please like, subscribe, and share this, this episode. And always remember that everything is us. From the North Side with love, Dr. View signing off. Uh, what's good, everybody? It's your man, Dr. View, executive producer for Fireside. And I have the great honor, pleasure of having uh, a newly brother, colleague, uh, friend, a dope activist, an individual with just great provision, an individual who loves community, who understands the true essence of what love is and part of part of having love for people and the capacity to love people is understanding the the, the importance of accountability and I, I think uh, you know our guest today truly embodies all of those things it's truly connected to the spirit of Black Wall Street who's younger than me and I, and I say that in in the context of like man people always come up to me like man you how old are you you 31, like you're doing this, 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 and this. And I'm just like, hey man, but there's some cats who's younger than me who's, who's really doing some stuff right now. And I just, I'm just truly grateful that, you know, our our lives have aligned and we're able to, to see each other shine, but also support each other in so many different ways. So I said a lot to say that I'm really excited to have um, my brother Tyrus Billingsley, who is the founder of the Black Tech Street which we're going to talk about um, for sure. But first off, man, just appreciate you being on the on the podcast. Uh, truly grateful for this opportunity. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just really genuinely excited. Genuinely excited that I'm surrounding myself with with folks who truly just get it, truly understand the magnitude of, of the moment, the, the history that we have the opportunity to write, um, and the narratives that we have. The ability to control. So, without further ado, um, I have the great Tyrants Billingsley on the 
on on the on the line, and uh, I'm just I'm just truly honored. So I just want to start with this, man. Um, why do you love Greenwood so much? Why do you love North Tulsa so much? Why do you love Tulsa so much? Like, obviously, we're gonna talk about Black Tech Street, but let's just talk talk about the your origin story, um, where you come from, and the things you've experienced as a kid. Just talk about your your love and desire. And, and I, I want to start right there because I feel like a lot of times people just really misunderstand a lot of people. Um, you know, we can think about all of our great leaders, Black leaders in particular, and all of them have been misunderstood in so many different ways. And so this is an opportunity for you to set the record straight, just coming from your own voice. Like, what is what have been your experiences like uh, being in Tulsa, just things of that nature? Why do you love it so much? Um, and how did you even get to the point of, of developing an idea, a concept that is Black Tech Street? Yeah, well, first and foremost, bro, I got to say, it's, it's an honor to be here with you. You are a legend. <laughs> you are a legend, man. You, are you a legend? You came to Tulsa. You gave a gift, man. You're giving a gift that our city will never be able to forget. So you you are one of us. I'm 100%. You, you Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, man, you could you couldn't say all that about me and then me not be like, nah, <laughs> we don't, we're not doing that. We're not doing. That. Hey, man, this is my podcast. I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, no, I appreciate the question. So, I mean, obviously, there's to an extent somebody always has love for a place they grew up. But Tulsa and you know Greenwood particularly, man, it's like, I mean, and I know this is probably something you can relate to. You know, every young person with ambition and who wants to be something kind of grows up telling themselves this story that there's probably something special about. You know, everybody would like to hope that there's something special about us that, that that's going to make us have a great impact on the world or, or have us be connected to something that was amazing. And for somebody who grew up like that, always hoping for that, to discover that I was, I was born and raised on the grounds of the most affluent Black community in the history of the country, man. It's like, it's like imagine somebody growing up like hoping that they Harry Potter and got, got secret powers and then somebody busts down like you're a wizard. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah. oh man. So it's like, so it's real. It's real. This was a whole, you know, people talk about Wakanda and all of that. Like, you know, like you said, you know, that's Greenwood, man. That's Greenwood. And the fact that it was real and that I'm connected to it. As, you know, bro, you can't put a price on that feeling, especially to somebody looking for a single story with which to go out. To, and, and you know, make an impact on the world. You can't put a price on that. So, again, I grew up. I grew up on. Um, um, I'm thirteen fifty North Denver Avenue. I grew up on the same street as as what y'all have repurposed as the Skyline Mansion, and I love it. I love it because you know, I used to grow up, you know, going past that after they remodeled it, thinking, oh yeah, you know, that's that's a good living. And then when I learned what it was, I was like, why is this thing? Why why is this thing still standing and being honored? And then here come y'all and y'all group taking this terrible thing and repurposing it as a symbol for, for like something amazing. And I've always imagined that. So, I mean, it's, it's incredible what y'all have done, but you know, kind of why I'm starting with all of this is because to understand me, I am someone who's driven by purpose, who's driven by impact, but you know, narrative is super important to me. And to, to understand what makes me tick, you have to understand what are the stories that I tell myself that make me think I should be going to do things like this. The fact that I'm born on the grounds of Greenwood, you know, the fact that I'm, I'm a young black man here 
kind of coming into his prime around the centennial. Whether these are objectively things that were orchestrated or not, in my mind, I align these things and I use them. I use them as, as push to, you know, make good and positive things happen. You know, I do believe they're orchestrated, but even if you don't believe that, the reality is you're going to create a narrative for yourself. You know, you're going to find a way to create a narrative for yourself. And I just so happen to be in a place at a time where I have so many powerful things to put together. But, um, but yeah, man, born and raised here, young black man, went to, uh, I went to, right, let, me, let me see if I can recount this. So I went to ECDC Bunch, then I went to Deborah Brown Community School, then I went to Sauk Elementary, then I came out here, went to Carver, graduated from Booker T. Washington High School. So, you know, I was, I've always been pretty immersed, especially since I started going into Carver, you know, I've always been, been super immersed in, you know, the schools here that have been known to, produce black excellence, you know, black excellence comes from everywhere, but those schools are kind of known for it. So, you know, and it was there that we were, we were, we were able to learn a little bit about the massacre in ways in black wall street, honestly, in ways that I hadn't, I hadn't really known, you know, I had um, grown up hearing the stories, but it was my freshman year in this class called uh, Oklahoma history that they instituted, you know, and where they uh, first taught you about where I first kind of got an in-depth knowledge about what the massacre was. But even then, bro, it was only like a half service because the focus was on the massacre. It wasn't on what existed before. It wasn't on what existed before. So I learned more about that. And obviously I, I immersed myself in it. I did what I could to learn about it. And that kind of served as fuel for me to want to rebirth that here. So after high school, I made a choice not to go off to some other school because I wanted to, that was out of state. I made a choice to stay here because I wanted to be a part of rebirthing what was going to come. And one of the people who had a huge part to play in that was Greg Robinson. You know, I met, I met him when I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. He was, uh, he was uh, one of the field leads for Mayor Kathy Taylor's uh, re-election campaign at the time. And, um, you know, I met him, we hit it off, he was 25 at the time, I think, you know, somewhere around there, or 23, and, you know, we, we talked, we chopped it up, I talked about all my big old plans and whatnot, he's like, yeah, man, you know, that used to exist in Tulsa, and it's going to come back, you know, on that campaign is where I got to learn that, uh, where I got to learn about all the development that was going to be coming to the, to the city, and all the attention, and all the, uh, all the, the, uh, the opportunity that there was here, because, you know, up until that point, you know, I was wondering, like, where, what, what happens after I leave? But, you know, this was an experience that's kind of made me see that I didn't really need to leave. I didn't really need to leave. So to, to give you, to kind of take you through the rest of how I got to Black Tech Street. So when it came to this impact, I always cared about two things, entrepreneurship and politics. So, you know, when I was in, when I was in, uh, when I was in college, I was president of student government and I rose to become president of student government for the state of Oklahoma. I went on a charity uh, student advisory board for the Oklahoma State Regents for Higher Education, doing education policy. Ended up interning for uh, the current mayor, G.T. Bonham, before things went left on that situation. And then <laughs> I apprenticed under um, the state senator and state representative, and I founded a civic tech startup called City Fora, which was meant to be a one-stop shop for administering city services. You know, and that ended up failing. You know, so that being that being being my first foray into this industry. And, and kind of looking, looking and getting hands-on experience to things that I've read about since I was young. I've been reading about the industry ever since I was young, but I wanted to merge politics and entrepreneurship 
kind of the one venture. And that kind of led me to found City Fora. And once I got into that world, I kind of really got to see a, the mechanics of startups, the mechanics of venture capital, but also in terms of ecosystem, how things should work versus versus how they do right now. And that was one of the things that kind of sparked me, kind of kind of sparked me to uh, give form to this vision that I've had since 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 I was young. Mm-hmm. So interesting. If we want to get into the black text free portion now. I'm talking a lot, bro. Interrupt me, man. No, be, no, this, trust me. I'm, I know when I need to come in when I come out. It's all good. Yeah, bro. So, so it's funny because the Black Tech Street, the idea of Black Tech Street, the first person I ever told you was also great. He, that was one of the things that I spoke to him about. So let's let's stop. Was, let's stop right there. Let's stop. Right yeah, there. let's do that. Because I think one of the pieces that like we tend to kind of graze over is like mentorship. Um, particularly like black male mentorship. I had a conversation with one of my former students at UCO and he was just like, why didn't you give me the answers? Like I was always the one who was just like, have you thought about this? And it's kind of like I was trying to shape it in a way for them to kind of like me looking from a bird's eye view, like, hey, these are things you should, should look for or consider. Like, have you had a conversation with this person? So like talk about in particular, like we know Greg, who Greg is as far as like running for, for, for the mayor position, but like talk about, let's humanize Greg and you and Greg's relationship in this conversation too. Like how much of an influence was Greg in like helping you even shape like what Black Tech Street could, could be or what, what it will be? Oh yeah, he was, man, he was instrumental. And I'll say this to every chance I get. Outside of outside of my parents, you know, and my queen, Greg has probably shaped me as an individual more than anybody else in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's and that's just as real as it can be. You know, I was uh, Greg was also it's very important because not just in terms of career, Greg was also my first my first picture of what somebody who was really in it because they were selfless looked like. Because when I was young, man, no, 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 I, I'm not gonna lie. I was solely ambition, you know. I was, it was, it was one of the Negroes that was like, nah, it's a zero sum game. I, my whole goal is to look and sound smarter than every other black person in the room. It was, it was terrible sunken place type stuff. It was terrible sunken place type stuff. When I met Greg, he was one of the first people. He, he and my father both, but I mean, he was one of the first people who gave me an example of. A, that's not how you're supposed to be as, as a man or a black person, but B, to really show when, you, when you're when you in something because of the cause and that you're loyal to that, that changes how you move when you're in it just because you're trying to blow up, that you move very differently. So Greg was the one who not only opened my eyes to the possibility of what Tulsa could be again, Greg was also one of the people who taught me how I needed to go about this. Because there are, there are a lot of different ways I could have gone about it that, that just, you know, that would have just put me in a position that so many of our bro- other brothers and sisters kind of find themselves in, you know, but talking to him, and it, it wasn't immediate, man, you know, we ended up losing that election, Greg ended up leaving town, and then he ended up coming back after uh, Terrence Crutcher was killed, and uh, we, uh, we reconnected, and it was still a process, I still had to learn, but Greg talking to me about ownership, talking to me about what the spirit of Black Wall Street was. How this is an actual legacy we got to pay homage to. It's not just it's not just some prop we can use to get famous or wealthy. Like he like this is real, bro. 
bro, that, this was all foreign. This was all like a whole different way of looking at, at, at all of this to me. And I was like, okay, this is, this is way left field of how I thought people who are being successful are going about this. So what am I going to do? What, how am I, how am I going to move? And it took time, but that his philosophy, his philosophies of community building, him, him, Dr. Crutcher, Christy William, all of these people um, were in this, were in this uh, group of people who influenced the core of how this was going to be built out, how it's going to be built from the community, built for us, by us, all of that, that stuff I learned in PCAT, a lot of the tenets of how we go about this stuff, you and I both learned in PCAT. So, I mean, it's, if you ask me how, how impactful he was in shaping this, I mean, it, he's about as impactful as anybody could be. Right. So, so now transitioning to Black Tech Street, those sensibilities of community and selflessness, like obviously talk about Black Tech Street and everything it encompasses, but also talk about like bringing those sensibilities and like checking your ego and then making something that really is truly for the movement. Like talk about that. For sure. So. Starting with Black Tech Street, obviously, I asked myself the question, what could Black Wall Street have been had it been supported and not destroyed? I remember you always used to say, bro, there would be no Atlanta if the massacre didn't happen. Well, what if, so what if that was the case? What if all that talent and possibility that Atlanta ended up capitalized on, capitalizing on was, was capitalized here and it just continued to build up until today? What, what would that have been like? And obviously it's hard to tell. We, it's, it's difficult to know, but I envision that you know, when I look at the level of tenacity and the level of resilience that it took for these entrepreneurs to build these incredible businesses during Jim Crow, when it was legal for people to just kill them for no reason, like that smashed through any obstacles, all of that, that reminded me of the tech industry, man, because that whole, you move fast, you don't let things stop you, that, that you figure things out, it reminded me of the tech industry, but that also encompassed with the fact that Tech is one of the only industries you can build intergenerational wealth in in seven to 10 years because of the possibility of massive exits. The fact that tech has an outsized influence on our economy and in our global economy and will continue to do so to the near future. And the fact that tech is a medium through which that most, most of the global innovations and world problems can be solved. I kind of surmised that our ancestors, what they built in Black Wall Street was, was, was unlike anything that existed before. And with tech being this massive frontier of an industry, it's our duty to go conquer it, to go to the greatest frontier, just like our ancestors did. Mm. So I imagine that had Black Wall Street been supported and not destroyed, it would be nothing other than the world's premier Black tech innovation economy. And that's, that is the mission of Black Tech Street, is to rebirth Black Wall Street under this Black Tech Street banner in a way that has has it being a global hub for black innovation and creativity and visionaries. But there's there's it's two part, it's twofold, you know, because there's what we want to do in Tulsa, but the reality is Black Wall Street wasn't just a Tulsa inspiration. It inspired black people everywhere. It was the four-minute mile that showed what was possible. So it's a bar. It's yeah, a bar. yeah, it was a bar. It was a bar, you know. No. I'm saying that's a bar, like a rap bar. Oh, you know? oh man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh. Hey, man, put, put me on the CD. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, nah, but but yeah, no, it was a four-minute mile. It showed people what was possible and what could be done. And that's what we want Black Tech Street to be. We want Black Tech Street, just like people, Black Wall Street to Black people who, who ain't from Tulsa and everywhere else is a symbol, is still a symbol of, of Black self-sufficiency, Black entrepreneurship, and Black wealth creation. We want Black Tech Street to be the same banner, this catalyst that sees 
Black people around the world, here in America and, and over in Africa, embracing tech as a means to build intergenerational world and build intergenerational wealth and solve some of the world's biggest problems. You know, one of our core theses is, is that it's not just about wealth, wealth, like creation of wealth, it's about the standard of living of this entire planet. Mm. The entire, the entire entirety of human history, innovations have only been pushed forward by a small number of people, whether that be kings, feudal lords, or, 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 or just men. Anytime there's any sort of oppression, you have to think you are keeping creative and visionary brilliance from being able to flourish because you're creating these systems where they either can't get it out or where they won't because you know you're just going to take it once they do. Imagine a world where everybody's creative capability is able to contribute to pushing society forward. Imagine what we can accomplish. We haven't seen a world like that yet. And that's kind of what we want to happen with Black Tech Street. We want Black people embracing tech and we want to show the world how us, us lifting this weight off Black people, showing, look at what, what just we can do, what we can do to, in terms of innovation. So let's let everybody do that. So, so, so Black Tech Street, to my understanding, has a goal to facilitate $10 billion in investments. Through... One billion over 10 years. So yeah, let me, okay. let me jump in on that. Let me jump okay. in. That was, that was the ethos narrative aspect. Here's okay. Aspect. Okay. So in terms of actually creating this uh, rebirth in Black Wall Street, we've got, we've got a strategic plan. You know, we've got four strategic pillars that could sometimes be broken out in six, you know, but we collapsed them into four in terms of when we talk about this. So the first pillar is the attraction of African-American talent and capital. So talent being remote workers, black remote workers and black entrepreneurs wanting to come and build their visions here or, or living, living here. And then capital is a, a blend from venture capital to debt capital to grant capital, you know, depending on what entrepreneurs need to grow and scale their companies. People are in different places, but we want to have a plethora of capital concentrated in our city. The second pillar is the tech enabling of local African-American companies that aren't inherently like hockey stick growth companies. So not the high growth tech companies, you know, venture, venture capital isn't for everybody. That's for high growth tech companies. Everybody's not that, but that doesn't mean that black tech street isn't focused on them. Tech can be used to enhance any sort of business. Well, a, it's already ubiquitous. So you can't really not be a tech person, but you don't, nor do you want to, because you can use softwares to help you increase your customer acquisition, you know, grow your revenue through online presence. You know, there's a ton of different things you can use tech for to enhance your business. And we really want every black business here to be tech enabled in a way that sets it up for success. Our third pillar, you know, is building out an apparatus adjacent to our school systems that allows young black kids from K through 12 to grow up learning STEM and entrepreneurship education. So, you know, we want there to be a situation where these kids have instilled in them from a young age, you know, they can do things like software engineering and, you know, from K through 12, really from fifth grade through 12, because that's when some of the real, real catalyzing starts. When you graduate, Rather than you simply going to a three-year or a four-year university or a two-year trade school, we want there to be a viable third path for you to mobilize into our ecosystem as a black black tech entrepreneur or be certified as a software engineer. You know, we, we know that over the next 30 to 40 years, there's going to be like north of a 
almost a million jobs that are going to be vacant, a million uh, north of six figure paying jobs in the tech industry that are going to be vacant due to lack of talent. So even if you don't become the breakout entrepreneur and become the next Oprah, you get you get into one of those jobs, you're still putting yourself in a position to build wealth, which is why I think the tech industry is uniquely positioned to help black people solve this problem. And then the fourth pillar is, you know, advocating at the state and local level for minority and tech friendly policies so that we can ensure that we can build out this ecosystem in a way that's conducive to what we know makes them succeed. And between these four pillars, we're looking to facilitate $1 billion worth of investment in this community over the next 10 years. Have you received any pushback in just the vision, like the goals that you have, have have you scared some people away just because they don't think it's possible? Like, like just talk about like the, because everything you're, you're saying is realistic in my eyes, like, mm -hmm. like truly realistic. But I also want to be realistic to the fact that similar to Final Africa, like there's been certain, you know, barriers that have been in place for us to not get where we need to be. and having to overcome that is taking a lot out of you. So not only the question is, have you had any pushback, but like, how are you sustaining yourself in these tired moments of, of the pushback? For sure. So yeah, there's been pushback. I mean, there's always pushback. When I was first, or when I was first having calls about this, you know, a lot of people would see the opportunity, but you know, they'd ask the question, I'm sure y'all get asked too, like why Tulsa? Okay, you've got this history, but why else? You know, why else? I mean, why would a young black entrepreneur choose Tulsa over Atlanta or DC or Miami or something like that? You know, so and obviously that would cause me to have to build out this ethos, inherent this, you know, this this or really the pathos of it and, and how Oklahoma is is far from prime territory to do something like this, but neither was neither was Jim Crow. Neither was neither was, was Jim Crow and look what happened. Yeah. So I mean, like, there's that pushback. There's pushback from from honestly racist white people. I mean, it's on it's on the social media all the time. You know, talking about why can't you know if we did white tech street. I mean, it, you you'll hear some of the nastiest things ever said. And I mean, low key, it doesn't really get to me. I'm, I'm I shouldn't, but I low key. I'm, I halfway like I halfway laugh, bro. I'm just like, what are you like? What are you doing? <laughs> I know most people would probably want me to be up in arms, and sometimes I am, but not. I'm not up in arms because I know what to expect. I know people are going to be people. There's opposition on that end, and then there's and then there's there's power dynamic oppositions, man. You know, you can't always when you've built an entire when you've built an entire structure off only certain people being able to do things. When somebody from another group looks like they're about to do it successfully, you know, there, there tends to be issues. So, I mean, it's 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 all good. It's all good, but. Uh, in terms of sustaining myself, man, to be honest, I'm a I'm a person of faith, but you know I fall down like all the time. I'm probably you know it's not it's it's not I don't claim to in any way, shape, or form be a righteous individual because I fall short so often. But you know I read I read my Bible all the times, and the reason why the reason that I read it most often is. Not because I, I feel like I'm trying to pray for the success of this. And I know, I, and obviously I do, it's because I need to know how to deal with my enemies. You know, people who don't have my best interest at heart. And 
And man, this love your enemy stuff is tough. That's a radical, <laughs> that's a radical idea. Like, I mean, well, I mean, for real, we 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 grew up in this culture hearing that. So, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. But people don't realize how radical and crazy an idea that is. Yeah. That when somebody is is cursing you, you should bless them in return. And I have not mastered it in any way, shape, or form. But I struggle with it, and I've been trying to get there, man. In, in your eyes, it's like realizing the manifestation of Black Tech Street, like who are some individuals, and you may have mentioned some already, but individuals, organizations who have been instrumental in supporting this. And the second part is like explicitly saying, what do you believe Black Tech Street's role is in Tulsa's future development? Like not even just Greenwood, like we talk about Greenwood specifically, like Black Tulsa, but like for Tulsa, Oklahoma as a whole, how do you see Black Tech Street's responsibility in, in helping develop the next future for Tulsa? So the first question of individuals who've been so supportive of this organization. So I mentioned, I mentioned uh, Greg Robinson. I mentioned uh, Christy Williams. You know, I mentioned Dr. Dr. Tiffany Crutcher. Um, I mentioned obviously, you know, they they've done Legacy Fest, and we'll be a part of that along with y'all. I mean, bro, you honestly have been an inspiration. Watching you move has been able to inspire me to move in spite of issues. Um, you know, there's been a lot of community level support, man. You know, Richard Baxter, uh, Bobby Eaton, like it's 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 love, man. It's it's all love from the community, and that's uh -huh. and it, part of that is because they've seen it coming for so long. I you know I used to talk about this before I really like started doing it. He <laughs> was gassing up before you got the paperwork. <laughs> right, like, oh, finally, also, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Stop talking about it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's been it's been a, it's been all love from the from the community, and I mean, even in places where I perceive it hasn't been hmm. uh, all love, it's being taken as love. It's been taken for love. So I mean, I'm not I'm not not too not 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 too hung up. In terms of your second question. Uh, I honestly see, I see Black Tech Street being able to help bring attention and vitalize, revitalize kind of Oklahoma in a, in a big way because there's already, in, in the uh, tech industry, there's already these things we're called, that's called Texas. You know, you see people leaving like San Francisco and some of these cities on the coast that have long been known as tech hubs. A, because the cost of living is crazy, the valuations are out of control, but then also the pandemic has made people rethink, even though we get back, I mean, it still made people rethink wanting to live in these huge, tightly packed cities. And so the Midwest is kind of already lit up as the next big frontier for, for tech anyway, or like black or anything else. Right. We're already in a position to receive that. Obviously Tulsa has already made some pretty, pretty massive investments in pushing our city towards being a tech hub. But I think with Black Tech Street and this narrative and it, its banner, I believe that it will be a magnet for Black talent and visionaries who will come and be able to want to help revitalize this economy. And outside of the Black people specifically, just Tulsa having another moniker that it's known by that's pretty famous is gonna it's gonna attract attention. I mean, just like when Fire Little Africa get that Grammy, I mean, like it's it's about to, it's about to come up. I mean, the city's going to go. I like how you just like subtly like put that in there. So I, I, I I mess with that. I mess with that. Yeah. Right. So no, I feel I feel that. I feel that. But you know, obviously we'll see. But I feel that. I think it's it's coming. Um, about two weeks ago, you had an opportunity to share 
the vision of Black Tech Street, over 50 Black, to my understanding, managing directors, vice presidents from Wall Street, alongside Greg. Can you just talk about that experience, how it came to be, what was the reactions around Black Tech Street to these folks? Like, and then how did that, how did it affirm like your vision, like in that moment? Yeah, man, that was a that was a dope experience, bro. And um, it's one thing to be talking to people who don't look like you all the time, but to talk to people who look like you and who who have made it, who are highly significant in in, in their fields, and to have them react and edify you the way that you've always wanted, bro. It was it was something. It, it was it was a crazy experience, bro. I'm not gonna lie. In the real energy of that room, like you think that since these are black managing directors that you think that they think a certain way and talk. So the, the kind of conversations we had in that room rival the conversations we've had in PCAT or, or when we just had, that, that when we just had, bro, it's not, oh no, we don't believe in rep. No, bro, it was, it was as raw, it was real. And it's crazy to see that even the people in these positions feel that way, even if they can't always and it was it was it was absolutely insane. I'm sure you can relate. I can remember because I was there. You know when we had the black firefighters come down, and you were on stage. <laughs> and one of them recited poetry, and you got emotional. I remember, bro. It's, it yeah. felt the same way. Yeah. That was a strong parallel. It, it okay. felt the same way to see these legends, to see these legends, and then have them say what they had to say about you. It was it was it was powerful. I guess I wanna I wanna go a little deeper. I mean. I, and, and I joke around, but like it's, I think it's important. Like you, you were still in your mid twenties. Um, how how did it feel being seen by people who are older than you? Like, cause a lot of times, especially now, you know, yeah, you're some people who just like, and these these young folks don't know what's going on, or like they don't respect like what we what we've done, and it's just like getting through all that nonsense, that BS. Like, how did it feel to know like? your elders were like looking looking at you like yeah he's a leader he's ready to go he's ready to move forward like how did that feel yeah i mean that was everything bro because even though i always become someone i always strive to become someone who can validate himself you know there are certain voices that you really do need to always have in mind and the elders of your community getting their approval i mean that's massive and, and this it's interesting that you specifically asked me about that because I specifically struggled with that when I was like I don't know I don't know how much you know about how I was when I first came up in Tulsa. You know I was aligning myself with all the wrong people, thinking I was right. Christy had to go upside my head a bunch of times before I got before I came to Christy and Dr. Crutcher and Greg and them. I, I, that's why I named them so much because they're the people who woke me up. It was them going upside my head and in, in me learning. Yeah. seeing things like that that's kind of what made me say okay I need to do this differently and that's what made me see the truth so hmm. having my elders look at me and say yes yes bro you're doing it fine I mean I, I like again I like to stop myself as somebody who's like I can validate myself as long as God God is no order of my steps but I can't lie having that approval it, it, it makes you stronger it makes hmm. you so much stronger since we're talking about our elders, um, just last week, you were able to meet you know, the oldest living su survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre, Mother, Mother Fletcher. Um, and as someone, you know, Tulsa born and raised and dedicated to seeing 
the reemergence of, you know, Black excellence in Tulsa, like, how did that experience affect you? That was, so there were, there were tears in that, in that meeting because she, I posted a video, man, she, she got up and spoke and like started trembling in a way that made her people, made her, her, her grandson sit her down because he was worried about her. And the fact that she had 107 had to get up there and do that is unacceptable. Hmm. It's, it's, it's unacceptable. That's, that's mad unacceptable. But, um, how did, what, what, what is it? So taking that moment, like seeing her 107 years old, trembling in front of a, a, a podium, like telling her truth, like in that moment, like let's just sit with that for a second. Um, her son, you said her grandson or her son? He was her grandson. Her grandson. She, she's outlived her son, bro. She's out, it's crazy. <laughs> so in that moment, you see her, you see her strength, things that she's endured, things that we, the, the, the watchers, the Lovecrafts, even Fire Little Africa, like that are still like romanticizing in a sense. Like, how do, how do you take that moment or like, What's the word? What's the how I'm trying to say this? What do you take from that moment? Like, how does it how does it push you? How does it energize you? How does it help you to talk to other people who may not see the importance of the work that we're doing right now? Like, what did you do with that moment? Uh, the, the, the main thing that the main thing that I took from that moment is that failure is not an option. Like that's like that's not, it's like this is a weird analogy, but I just I just read it in one of the books that I was doing, so I'm going to use it. So if you look at like a string of pearls, the pearls are on the string, and then at the bottom, there's a knot that holds it, that holds it there. That moment kind of made me think of, like, that was the knot that says no matter how heavy everything gets, you got Mother Fletcher standing up there at 107 saying that, saying that we need justice. You don't get to stop no matter how heavy it gets. You don't get to stop. And she's not going to let you stop. Because I remember Chief said it one time. And I remember because I was talking to him about, like, why, why are you so passionate about what you do? And he's like, because it's like I can see these ancestors whispering, don't forget me every time I'm in one of these situations. They're dead and they're whispering, like, don't forget me. <laughs> That's like what the moment was, bro. It was, it was, it was crazy. I'm not going to, I can't. Yeah, there were, there were there were emotions in that moment, but it was also like there was also so much so much anger because it's like, what more do you want? What more, as a city, what more can Tulsa want than to have this survivor standing up? Like, what 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 do you need that's gonna turn you? That's gonna turn you, bro. It's like it's like God punishing Egypt and like everything he does just makes Pharaoh's heart harder. Like, what do you want? Like, what do you? Mm -hmm. Are you not going? Are you just not going to turn because you refuse to? So it was just like I don't. I don't. It was it was a swell of emotions, bro. It, it was a swell of emotions. Mm. I just I don't know. I I have a just another, and I have to I have to bring this to the forefront. You know, we we've seen the Trump forty five coming to Tulsa. We've seen the the Capitol riot. We've seen House Bill 1775, Oasis Supermarket just opened the other day. Mm -hmm. So I'm bringing these things up because we have these individuals who are politicians, Bynum, Langford, Stitt, 
sits now not on the commission anymore. But in my in my argument, I would say like that that was a little late, <laughs> late late to the party. But you fast forward and you see Bynum at the ribbon cutting and others. I'm just gonna say others. Throw that out there. That are at the ribbon cutting. So it's just like, how do you how do you contextualize those moments of you don't see us, you don't support Mother Fletcher, who is saying we need justice, but yet you're good enough to be on a commission or you're good enough to be for a photo op for you know a new market that's just opened up on the north side. Like, how do you? What do you what do you what do you make of that? But two, how do you move forward in spite of all of the nonsense that you see that's happening in our city? I'm a, I'm a, so I'm gonna be real, bro. I've used this analogy before. When I see stuff like that, when I see see people who don't support getting true justice but want to be on things involved with the centennial, it's like it's like take going to the grave of somebody who was murdered and, and never had they never had their case solved. You digging up their bones, dressing them up and taking a picture with them. And then you putting them back in the ground without ever figuring out what happened to them or even putting them in a proper burial. You know, it's, 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 I use that analogy because it's that extreme. It's that extreme. You know, it's like, I mean, I understand, bro. There's, there's power dynamics in the city. People, some people always gonna have to be a part of certain things, but. Do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. But until the city, man, until the city, until we figure that out, that's why what you doing is so important. What I'm hoping to do is so important. What Greg, what, you, what you are doing, what you are, what, what I'm doing, what I'm doing is so important, bro. Because I, I told you about this when we when we sat down before. You know, it's like that Game of Thrones episode, man. After after uh, Tyrion was <laughs> Tyrion was in the city, bro, and Daenerys came back, and even though he had made this, the city was about to fall apart. He mm -hmm. held it together, and then the masters from outside came to burn it down. And she's like, what's going on? And he said, they can't let the city succeed because a city without slaves or a city without masters, who's no one needs a master. What you doing, what I'm doing, what Greg and Dr. Crutch is doing is proven that no one needs a master. And until that, until that gets, until that gets burned and burned onto the hearts of black people in this city, no matter how many resources come in, everything is gonna stay the same because we don't keep letting the powers that be control what's going on. So that's why, again, that's, that's why the work is so important. It's a proof no one needs a master. So let's so let's transition in, in, into these things. Let's talk about final after, right? So when did you first call caught a glimpse of it? Like how have you seen it evolve over time? Um, how does it speak to you? But more importantly, like how does it, I mean, not necessarily more importantly, but how does it speak to Black Tech Street? Like, how does it provide leverage for the work that you're doing or the, the work or the support that you're seeking to garner for Black Tech Street um, in the future? Like, just talk about what FILA, what FILA represents to you, what it means to you. When I first, I remember first hearing about FILA, it's hard to remember like that first spot, but I do remember, I remember, Hearing about it and saying it was cool, but it wasn't until I saw you post y'all making that, y'all making the music in the cultural center that something, something came over me that was like, this is about to be something. 
<laughs> about to be something. I don't know what, but it's about to be something. Yeah. I hadn't done too much of it prior, but as it slowly evolved, man, I started to see how y'all are encompassing everything. I mean, I don't know if you know him, but how well you know him, but I grew up with an artist y'all work with called Savvy Cray. You know, he he stayed down the street from me, man. We was, we was, we, was, we, we got pictures of each other at each other's first birthday party. And then he, uh, he got involved with it. And I'm, I'm just seeing, hearing y'all name in all these different places. And then I met you first time at Breakout. First time we really, really kind of, kind of got, you know, with, that was at Breakout. And then when I saw you get to t get to talk to the, the black firefighters, but I heard your story, I was like, this is the dude, this is the dude. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and I'm not just saying that to blow you up, it's like, yeah. anytime somebody who's who's like not from Tulsa comes in, everybody's always like, oh, what's going on, what's going on? But when I met you and I heard your vision, I was like, I was like, this is one that, this is this is one that was probably here before and he's he's being rebirthed to come back to Tulsa. Mm. Like, that's that's him. I was like, okay, that's what's up. So, mm. and as I heard that, and then I started hearing about, you know, um, working with Chris and some of the stuff, started hearing about the doors y'all are knocking on and, and, and the people who y'all making listen. Part of why I feel good about Tulsa's future, regardless of all the capping and lying that's going on, is the fact that the narrative is always going to come back to something like a fire in Little Africa. So even if things get squandered on the ground, which I'm not going to let them, but even if things got squandered on the ground, the story is still what we want it to be because it's out there through y'all. So that's what that's that's what it represents, bro. And that's why I'm so proud of it. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's safe. I'm like, okay, I feel the narrative is actually pretty safe. Hmm. Obviously, we still got to do the on the ground work. But, but no, nah, I'm super proud of that. And as far as the on the groundwork is concerned, bro, you know, STEM ain't just STEM, it's STEAM. It's science, technology, engineering, arts, and music. Talk so, about it, talk you know, about it, man. Yeah, it ain't just STEM, it's STEAM, bro. Y'all are y'all are gonna be crucial. Tulsa becoming a music city, which y'all are gonna make happen, which we heard from Ethiopia that she thinks is, is, is coming around the corner. Tech and tech and arts have always been the two combinations that have made the greatest innovations. Tech, you know, changing people's lives and arts, showing people, edifying people and showing them how to behave and use that in a way that doesn't hurt other people. Mm. That's that's the key, man. The, the two, those two together, I think it's unstoppable. And I'm, that's why I'm so, so happy for what Fire and Life is about to do. Y'all blowing all the way up, shining. Uh, we got to talk about shine. All right, let's, let's talk about that. I, yeah, I'm saying let's talk about that. But uh, but yeah, bro, that video felt like being there. <laughs> it felt like being there, bro. I was like, when did y'all? I was like, how did? I'm I'm just tracking it, and then the fact that I'm seeing so many faces that I know. Yeah. It's like it's like not only are you paying homage to this, you brought all of the people in the community along with y'all. Like that's you can't beat that, bro. Yeah. The message was fire. That's just dope, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for Legacy Fest. I'm, I'm hyped. I'm hyped. What are you? What are you most looking forward to for the centennial? And what are you? What's the least thing you're, you're looking forward to for the centennial? The thing I'm looking forward to the least is all the lying and pretending that's going to happen. I mean, obviously, and um, the false narratives that are going to be put out. They're trying to present Tulsa like it's a much, much better along in relation to this issue than it actually is. I'm not looking forward to that at all. What I am looking forward to is the energy 
of, of black excellence, like being rebirthed through the, through the commemoration of what, what we used to have and what we're about to rebuild. Legacy first is going to be beautiful. I'm, I mean, just being on Greenwood during that time period, even if there are tons of people there who aren't typically there, I mean, I'm still going to walk through there like, like it's what, like it's what I've been walking on, which is that sacred ground and just, you know, treating it differently, you know, right. the Memorial March this year is going to be beautiful. I'll, I'll always love the Memorial March, but this year it's going to be, it's going to be something, something super special. Since we're on Legacy Fest, any particular highlights or things that you all have planned that people should be aware of? So, yeah, we'll be participating in the festival on the uh, Reimagining Black Wall Street panel. And, um, you know, we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be debuting some of our T-shirts and circling them around and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's really what we're doing, man. We there, to, we there to chill. You know, we got big plans, but, you know, the Legacy Fest is, you know, we, we're here to honor our ancestors and listen to some fire music and <laughs> do what we need to do, man. What do, what do you think the answer, how do you think the ancestors are feeling as we're ten, literally 10 days away from the beginning of, of Legacy Fest? You know, it's, 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 always a, it's always a deal with me when I imagine what the ancestors feel. But I mean, as of right now, I think that, I think that, and what I'm praying for, what I think is gonna happen is, I think that they're actually happy because they feel that Legacy Fest is gonna be a true honoring and true representation of what happened versus all the lies. So I, I think, and I'm, I'm hoping, you know, obviously can't speak on their behalf. I try to interpret their signs as good as I can, but I'm hoping that they feel edified by what happens and they feel to some extent that we are on the road to vindication. I hope that, that's what I'm hoping most comes out of, out of the centennial, a serious conversation about reparations more than anything else and, and that happening. That's, that's what I'm hoping more than anything. In regards to the Justice for Greenwood case out there, in your eyes, one, how are you feeling about the case? And then two, like, what does reparations look like or, or mean to you? As far as how I feel about the case, it's long How it's going to do, I don't know. No laws in our profession, but I think that obviously it's cause is just. In terms of reparations, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because, I mean, obviously there's a broader conversation about reparations for Black people, but then there's a specific one about Black Wall Street. And what does that look like? Well, I mean, you know, that was put forth, you know, alongside Mother Fletcher asking for, you know, the proceeds from Greenwood Rising to go to descendants or, you know, 80% of the $30 million raised going to, there are lots of different ways we can have reparations. What happened with that money? No, you don't have to answer that question. <laughs> Man, that's part of what's so frustrating, bro, because there are so mm. many different ways we could do this if we were really serious about it. So why, why do you think it's so difficult for people to see the importance of funds going back to North Tulsa? Black or white and or white people. Why do you feel like it's so difficult? What is the what is the driving force that's making them not connect these resources back to black folks? I think it's really just this man, it, it comes down to I don't want to say it's just they despise black people, despise black people, but but I mean it's hmm. to be honest, it's it's not that difficult. So many other groups have had reparations and what black people 
were kept out of, both in Black Wall Street and in our experience in this country overall, we were systematically denied the ability to create wealth. So that's really one of the only ways that, that reparations can flow back to us. Why do people not want to do that? I think it's also because you have to admit that you, you were wrong. You have to admit that this happened. You know, there's a difference between, you know, I was listening, again, I was listening to this other sermon that talked about the difference between when you want God to forgive you for something and when you want him to just overlook it and act like it never happened. When you want him to forgive you, you're willing to say, I did wrong and I want you to make this behavior go away. But if you're willing to, if you just want him to overlook it, you want to say, I want to keep doing what I want to do, but I want you to just turn the other way and say it's not a problem anymore. And I think that's the difference. The city wants... The city wants to act like nothing happened and to act like they can't do anything about it. But the truth is, you gotta. Uh, if if, if we're gonna pick this thing up and carry it and carry it away, you've got to admit that it was wrong, and you've got to admit that that you got to be willing to change your behavior in a way that says, "Let's let's revitalize what we have kept revitalization from happening for a long time." But they don't want to do that. Last two questions. Um, how do you think the world is going to respond to fire in Little Africa? I mean, particularly in the the racial climate, the public lynchings that we continuously have, the case for reparations, not being allowed to, to teach critical race theory, um, which is a whole nother conversation. I mean, just just to all the the shit that we've been experiencing for so long, like, what do you believe will be the the byproducts, the implications for Fire in Little Africa? Sixty unsigned artists from the state of Oklahoma being signed to Motown with this project that really is depicting like the stories of Greenwood. Like, what do you feel like is going to be? the response of the world in relation to this project. You know, just how I said, Black Wall Street was a four minute mile. Fire in Little Africa is a four minute mile too for, for, for Black people in the music industry too. You said you said yourself, 60 unsigned artists, they signed the whole state of Oklahoma. You said that's never happened before. So of course, when it comes to the history, people are gonna think it's dope. But imagine what that says to the young rapper trying to make it in some other city who, who's trying to like, no, you gotta think about that. You gotta think about it. Greenwood was a gift, was as much of a gift as an idea as it was in terms of what it actually was. And I think that's what Fire and Law Africa is gonna be, man. Just like, um, yeah, it's gonna be just like Black Wall Street. It's gonna show that, A, the excellence of Black Wall Street was still here and it was rebirthed and, and recreated in this music. And also that this excellence is something that all of y'all can attain too, bro. I, bro, I grew up with people who who've been trying to rap and who was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to leave Oklahoma for anything to pop off. And then you came in, you got some of them, bro, uh, Cray, Asha. I, I I came up with these people, bro. Mm-hmm. And and to see to see this project be able to help them help them ride this wave, man. I mean, it's that's that that's going to be a four minute mile for black people in terms of music everywhere else. And it's also gonna be a four minute mile for showing that for black people in general to show what, what can happen, what can be done with. I mean, you you had, I mean, you what did you have when you came, when you came, except an idea. Look, look what it became. That, that's symbolism and that's powerful. That's that's powerful. 
Man, I don't like you right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just because cause what, I'm, what I'm starting to notice with these, these podcasts is like, it's really making me sit with myself. It's making me sit with myself and really reflect on what you what you said about Mother Fletcher, like, because because I find myself like mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted right now. At the, at, and this is the point where I should be having the most energy, but it's just one of those things where like I, I hear you and I hear how you you're looking at it from your own epistemological perspective and like. It, it just gives me just enough energy to be like, okay, I can just keep going. I obviously need to protect my time and sanity and, and practice self-care, but it's just like that just one little piece of just like encouragement. It's like, okay, let's, let's just keep it going. So really appreciate this. Um, last question. Our mantra is called everything is us. Just really simple. What does everything is us? When you hear it, when you when you process it, when you reflect on your your upbringing, the, the future of Black Tech Street, the, the experiences of working with the likes of Dr. C and, and Greg and Christy, being held accountable by these folks, like what does everything is us mean to you? Everything is us is again, it's a burden of something that that I've heard my entire life, you know, because specifically in regards to innovation and whatnot. You always hear, and we always knew from history, black people were the people who built almost so much of everything, even though it was taken. Mm -hmm. We were the first people like on this earth in terms of coming out of Africa. Like when I hear everything is us, I mean I hear a recall to our our original greatness, our status as the originators of literally everything. So that's why I think it's a perfect phrase. Everything is us. The deeper you dig, the blacker the world gets. That's just so when I hear everything is us, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad somebody, somebody's finally saying that. I'm glad somebody finally saying that. Hey, man, you're going to make me go back to this project and find a record for you just to talk. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's what I want, man. Put me on. Yeah, man. I'm about to put, I should have, I should have, we should have connected way before this because, I mean, <laughs> Greg on the album, Dr. C on the album. Oh, man. That's yeah. Awesome. You didn't know that? Everyone, uh, so I did. I knew Greg. I heard Greg was, and then Doctor C, and then I think you just you just saying that connected a dot with me that Doctor C is on it too. But no, nah, that's fire, bro. Yeah, that's fire. Yeah, you got yeah. the right voices on there for sure. <laughs> well, I just wanna I wanna end with this, man. Um, tyrants, like you are a living ancestor. Truly, bro. Truly, a living ancestor. Um, the ancestors are proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to just to see you move in this world that doesn't really give a fuck about you. Um, I'm, I'm here to let you know Fila is here to support you. Um, everything is us. I mean, you part of that, that conversation, that family. Um, and we just truly appreciate your, your fearlessness, your your attention to detail, your attention to history. Um, yeah, man, you are truly manifesting these ideas, these visions. And I, what I'm starting to learn, even just through meditation, is like it really just starts in the mind. 
Um, and if and if we're able to manifest these these ideas yeah. into not only businesses that sustain ourselves and our family, but like truly like connecting to our our community, then we're actually we're doing the work. We're doing the work. So I just want to let you know you are doing the work, um, even if we're not where we want to be. Like we're still doing it. So you know, man, I'm I'm truly honored to know you. And uh, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep building because uh, you know between Ethiopia coming down this past week and uh, just watching my son just each and every day I, I'm recognizing I'm, I'm I'm paying more attention to him each and every day and I know for a fact like he prays every night and he he gets to a point where he says Uncle this Uncle this Uncle this Uncle this and he's talking about my uncle, but he's also talking about these artists who've now become his uncle. Um, so I he'll say Uncle Omar, Uncle Jacoby, um, Uncle Omar, and like these are all people that's connected to this everything is us movement. And he doesn't even like he he just sees it. He sees it just like black men are are like I really like I can see myself reflected in so many different ways and areas or. But he don't know what's going on right now. Um, he just he, he absolutely, and I, and I just and I'm saying that to say like my son is going to recognize who Tyrant Billingsley is one day and understand that like he was a colleague of a brother of my of my dad. And so I think the same approach you take you, you took when you found out about Black Wall Street and you saw yourself differently. Um, I know for a fact, it's my hope, but I, I know it's already happening, that my kid, my son, and, I, and and the rest of our kids, and the kids we don't even know about yet, kids are not even conceived yet, I just pray that that they too will know about Black Texture and Tyrants Billingsley and the legacy that you left and the stories that you kept and the narratives that you sustained um, yeah, I just truly want you to understand that you, you are important to the culture. Um, so you are a living ancestor. Keep keep moving as such. And uh, just know people, people got your back. Doctor, you got your back. And uh, we're going to keep this thing going. So you got your back, man. You, yeah. man you, you trailblazing, bro. You a legend. You a legend. I'm honored. Okay. Last, what what is the definition of a legend, bro? Bro, what is a, legend, a legend is somebody whose impact on impact on the culture was such that it will never be forgotten. Right? I, I'm a, I'm gonna sit with that. I'm gonna sit with that. I feel like because because the L word's been been thrown around a lot. It has been thrown around. A lot. It's been thrown around a lot, and I just I think it's more of like a. It's not that I don't want to like own it. It's more so like it's like a legend in living ancestors and living legend. Like it's it's still like. The evolution of it so i just don't want to get to a point where like people people take it as all oh, it's a legend and, but it's not necessarily a conversation deeper about like what it takes to get to that point like the self the selflessness that we keep talking about so um and i'm curious to see how me you as well as others like how do we move when we do garner those resources Will we truly be the same type of people? And I think we will be. But those are just 
when I think about legend, that's something I think about. But yeah, bro, that is that is the end of this episode. Fireside with Dr. View, the founder, um, the great, the legend that is Tyrus Billingsley in Black Tech Street. Truly appreciate your time today, man, and just pray that God continues to order your steps, man. And uh, yeah, we're here. We're here for you. Everything is us.